St. John's Cathedral is a cathedral and a parish. Our work as a cathedral um, is sometimes less obvious to the parish, but significant. For example, we host a lot of wonderful events for the Diocese of Colorado, which is the entire state. We'll host, Broderick announced um, in the annual meeting, we'll host on May the 18th the ordination um, and consecration of our new bishop-elect, Kim Lucas, We're expecting somewhere between 1,200 and 1,600 people who will gather, probably not all of them in this nave. And we're also hosting on that weekend, um, the chief consecrator will be our presiding bishop, Michael Curry of royal wedding fame. So we do things like that, host these great events for the diocese. The parish, that work is, is a little more obvious, maybe even a little more primary. As a parish, what we do is walk with people through the ordinary events of their lives, offering those events, those experiences to God. One of the things that's fascinating about human life is that human emotions, especially the dramatic emotions, grief and joy, they can be too much for an individual to bear. Obviously, grief can be too much. You need to to share it. But joy can be too much for an individual to bear, too, because joy, like bread, you eat too much of it. And it's meant to be shared. Can you hear me on the sound system? Okay, good. I thought I went down a little bit and just wanted to make sure because I got a few things to say. Joy needs to be shared, and that's what we're here for on the most basic level, to walk with you, to walk as a community as we share all of those emotions and offer them even to God. The the liturgist who trained me was also a musician and an organist. His name was Marion Hatchett. He taught at Swanee. He was from South Carolina and unlike a lot, of gen- a lot of liturgists, he was a very sort of gentle soul and thought creatively about various different kinds of ways of doing something well. He loved to say to priests and to seminarians and to graduate students, no one, no one leaves church humming the sermon. One of the most powerful ways that we share these emotions with one another is by singing. And it's just so fabulous to sing in this cathedral because the acoustics, the two organs, this incredible choir, Lynn and Mickey, who are so creative and wonderful at what they do. It's best, perhaps, when we feel it, when we're sharing all of that, when we sing one of those hymns that we all know, a familiar one. Now, I love singing the unfamiliar ones too. And we've got to, just like with the Bible, we've got to read all of it. We've got to sing all of it. But you feel it on Christmas Eve when this place is packed to the gills and we're all singing Silent Night. Helen Gleason is a member of our choir and she loves to talk about how when the choir processes out and there's a great descant and they surround us down the side aisles and she says the choir is just putting their arms around everybody. Just incredible. It holds our joy in unison because joy sometimes can be too much if it's not shared. Last weekend, 
We had Evensong on Sunday. It was Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. That was at the forefront of our imagination and our hearts. And for Evensong last Sunday, it was a very American Evensong. And Lynn and Mickey chose as the anthem not just some English choral something, but rather Deep River, a great spiritual that had been arranged, in this case, by an Episcopal organist. And they sang their hearts out, and we felt it. And it held for so many of us the grief that we feel at this moment in our country and our dreams for what we could be. There are countless other ways, too, that we share grief. We do, because we're a parish and a large one, we do a lot of burials here. And one dimension of our burials that really fascinated me, because not a lot of places have this, um, we have a lot of people on the periphery of the cathedral who used to go here and moved away, or came here once and realized how beautiful it is, or have a spot in the columbarium, and that's All Souls is their only connection to this place. So just about every week, we do one, we do several every week, but we do one that's usually just this, a committal, the graveside portion, the short part, simply in All Souls Walk. No Eucharist, no hymns, not all of that. And when I do those, and it's a small group, and I feel like I've built a rapport What I do right before that service starts to give it just a little more weight, a little more of a human touch, make it a little less transactional, is I say, would anyone like to say a word or two about this person who's died? Just quickly and informally. Now that right there might make it where you never want to do that service with me. (laughs) And more often than not, someone says, I'd love to say a few words. And more often than not, everybody there, five or ten people, say a few words. And it's just so powerful what I get to hear. Several months ago, it was just two of us. It was a sister who was burying her brother. I didn't know him from Adam. And it was the two of us standing there, and I said, would you like to say a word or two before we start? And she said, I'd be honored. And she paused, and then the kindest voice, the kindest voice said, addressing her brother, your alcoholism finally got you, and it broke my heart the whole time, and I hope you finally find the peace that you were always looking for. Only two people heard it, if you don't count the saints and angels. It's incredible what we get to say to one another in this place. It's incredible the stories that we hear if we would but listen or speak. It reminded me when I left that particular service of one of my favorite sayings from Philo of Alexandria. He said, Be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. As dean, um, one of the things I have to do is is not just be a a pastor or a shepherd to individuals. It's my job 
and a holy responsibility to see the whole, to see the whole flock. And with God's help, I try to do that the best I can. To see where the community is and where it's headed. It's an incredible part of my work. And I want to highlight just two things from this past year that that I'm just so proud of and I can't thank you enough for. One is is really pragmatic, but it's also holy. David Ball, the chair of our stewardship, announced this morning that this year, as of this week, we've received 6% more in pledges than we received last year. And you might not know this, but I do because I've done this for about 18 years and I study patterns. Um, That's incredible. There are not many churches in the situation that we're in, and I thank you for that. We're also, and the senior warden talked about this, living within our means, perhaps more so than we have, at least in decades. The bulk of what we do comes from what you give. And that's powerful because it's setting us on this arc of financial sustainability, and that's important because we're in this for the long term. This cathedral deserves that. But it's also powerful spiritually because the ability to give is a holy privilege. And Christ asks for all that we are and all that we have. And money is a holy dimension of our lives. And giving that to Christ continually in the offering of the Eucharist or through pledging in any way, even online, is one of countless connections we're invited into in this place to be connected at the most real level to Christ. So thank you deeply. I also want to thank you for something else, and that's just being yourself and being yourself with personality and gusto. What gets all the attention in churches is who is a senior warden, who's on the committee, who's on the vestry, who got elected to this, who's the dean's verger, who gets to wear the robes, all of that. It gets a lot of attention. It's essential. It's, it's lovely and important. But the most important lay ministry is not found in title or election or appointment, and it doesn't get your name in the leaflet, and it shouldn't. The most important lay ministry is just being yourself, cutting up with people after the service, before the service, listening, laughing, even if the joke is not that funny, laugh, (laughs) crying, looking another human being in the eye, going to coffee hour, telling your story, listening to somebody else's story. Where else do you get to do this? This is the most relevant the most relevant thing in all of God's creation is being a community together that lives and dies with grace and looking one another in the eye. It's incredible this high calling of keeping one another company. On the long journey. Another dimension of my work, which might be, it's not the most difficult, but it's it's the most complex in some ways. And that's being a shepherd or a pastor that, that sees where the flock is in a moment in time and has a thought or two about where we might be headed. The ability to remember or foresee the future. I've only been here a year and a half. 
Um, it would be absurd if I told you I had a, a vision or a dream at this stage. I have so much more to learn, so much more to listen to. But at this stage, even after a year and a half, I can tell you I at least see the outlines of a colorful dream that keeps coming back to me. And it always hovers or hinges upon this, how this cathedral might become more reflective of the demographics of the city of Denver in terms of race and age and socioeconomic status. How might we be more resonant with this city? How might, in the traditional words, we might become a house of prayer for all people in Denver. I have some practical ideas about that too. More to come in the months and certainly the years to come. But I also invite your dreams for this place. What sets you on fire as you imagine giving this cathedral and parish away to your children and grandchildren and even more importantly to this city? What we're given in the Eucharist We only fully receive it when we hand it to somebody else. And what goes for the Eucharist goes for every square inch of this place and of our ritual. Which leads us to the epistle reading. It's one of Paul's uh, most beautiful readings. And it's where he, he uses this image that he really stole from somewhere. Where he talks about the church being the body of Christ. And just like a human body, there's this cohesive whole, but the cohesive whole is made up of all of these parts. And each part of the human body, when you really think about it mystically and practically, there's not one part of the human body that's any more important than any other part. And the same thing is true for the body of Christ as a community. Each individual member is an essential gift to the body's health and well-being and sense of who it is. He got this image from emerging physiological understandings of the human body in the Greco-Roman world. It's a powerful image that always deserves our prayer, thought, and imagination. It's also an image that Paul himself did not fully understand how complex it is is we now know that any human body also has a psychological reality that's deep, complex, and mysterious. We are a body. And we're a body knit together and every part matters. And that means that we're God's body and because we're God's body, We have soul. We have spirit. So as we pray and imagine our future, individually or collectively, the most important thing to do is take a deep breath and remember that God's spirit is literally that breath that walks with us each step of the journey that we must make. And it's when we remember our souls, it's always when we remember our souls, that we find our future.